Whether they are controlling your robotic arm or a self-driving car, IoT systems just cannot fail. Most of the time they are critical and you cannot afford to have them slow down, lag or even worse, crash. But how do you guarantee a piece of software deployed on an embedded device will do exactly what it's supposed to do in any circumstances? There are different ways to achieve this, but not many are mathematically proven. Boyd Moncher is coming to the IoT show to tell me everything about formal methods. These are mathematically rigorous techniques for the specification, development, analysis and verification of software and hardware systems. I'm not making this one up, I found this definition on Wikipedia, it has to be real. Boyd will also share how he is using formal methods to develop a new OS called Crichton that is going to help us make IoT system deterministic. Expect a fascinating conversation with Boyd. Hi everyone, this is the IoT Show. I'm Olivier, your host. Thanks for watching and tuning in to discuss today IoT devices. And we'll dive into a very interesting topic around real-time security and all of these kind of goodness. And for that, we have Boyd. Boyd, how are you? Hi, I'm good. It's good to be here. Well, it's really nice of you to spend the time here on this chat with me. And uh, I'm sure that it's going to be also very instructive for a lot of people here. Um, I usually have the, an audience that is interested about any IoT topic. and But we all have that tendency to really love embedded discussions. And um, we have long debates about you know real time, what is real time, and, and what are the complexities of embedded and so on. So that's exactly why you're here. But before we jump into that, some people might not know you, so I'd like for you to introduce yourself. Okay. Well, let's see. I'm Boyd, and um, I'm here in New Zealand now working on a, an IoT startup and all the things you were just saying about security and, and reliability and all that. But before then, I was in Seattle, and I spent 15 years on the Xbox team and had a hand in building up things like Xbox Live and XMA and, and the Xbox One OS and that kind of stuff. Tiny things, small things. Yeah, those, those little things. And um, you know, maybe they'll say the one lesson you learn in doing all of that is that game consoles are less like PCs and more like industrial devices than you think. And you'll learn okay. a bunch of lessons going there, which we're, I'm trying to apply to a different space. That, that's interesting. Yeah, th that's yeah. Gaming consoles are a dedicated device, right? They are here yeah. for one function, and they need to be like locked down to a point where, and and they also need to just work. They need to be working all the time, right? That's right. It's a device. It's in the field. It's locked down. The potential attacker might be the person who has physical control of the device. Okay. Right? Okay. So when you think about industrial scenarios, it's like, oh, there's more things that are common here than you think. Okay. So there's a logic, you know, from where you were with XNA Xbox to where you are today. Yeah. Let's, we'll, we'll get to that. So tell me a bit more about your perspective you already started on that but your perspective on the landscape for iot devices right how are things looking like from your perspective uh, great you know when we talk about iot you often hear about billions and billions of devices that are already out there and um, i really think they fall into two big categories uh, the first category is maybe how iot started and they're little devices uh, running on like an ARM M processor. They're power constrained. It's about battery life. It might be a thermometer that's up on the wall and it collects a piece of data and squirts it out once an hour. 
you know, there's a lot of those devices. The growing category is um, kind of big, complicated devices. These are devices that have multiple applications that are running at the same time. They're doing mission critical things. They're making decisions. They're not just mm -hmm. collecting data and sending it upstream. So this could be autonomy. This could be like autonomous tractors or cars. It could be the devices that are running water pumps to the city or devices that are running the power generation facility that's, that's serving your neighborhood. There's, there's a whole bunch of scenarios of big devices that if there's a failure, you don't really want to pay someone to go hop in a truck and drive for hours to go get to it. But there's also high consequences upon a failure where it's not reset the machine and start collecting data again. It's, oh boy, uh, someone someone lost their business or they died because the machine failed, right? Yeah. So very different categories and with very different approaches and how you want to, how you want to deal yeah. with them. And, and connectivity came into play as well, right? Something that in yeah. the past was not common, I would say 10, 20 years ago, devices were, were to be smart, but not connected, not interconnected as well, right? Yeah, so I know IoT, you know, first one's internet. But what does that really mean in a modern industrial environment where you've got factories that um, have a network inside and they're running in complex processes and you'd like to get, oh, let's say, carbon emission data out of them, but they're also firewalled. They're in an air-gapped environment and they're not actually connected to the public internet. So we're in a quandary where we're used to thinking about the internet, especially if you're coming from normal software, but in industrial systems, you're not. It's, it hasn't happened. They're still air-gapped and you can't get the data out. And that's a big problem as we need to manage the challenges ahead of us. So yeah, connectivity is still an open question. Yeah, it, it's, it definitely is. There's one thing when we discussed when we we're preparing this episode that um, you came up in terms of describing different types of systems. It's more on the functionality aspect uh -huh. of things, but you were talking about static versus dynamic versus semi-dynamic systems. Can you can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a useful way to, to think about the difference, another way to think of the difference between devices. A static device, which is the way I think most of like the RMM little IoT devices. You build your software, you put it on there and it runs and it doesn't change. It's static in its nature. Um, maybe you can do a firmware update by going through some external process, but it's it's heavy and it's not really intended to be dynamically updated and kept alive. Versus your PC or your phone, which is fully dynamic. This device, when it's manufactured and sold, no one has any idea what software it's going to run. Mm -hmm. Right? It could run anything. You can load stuff on and you can bring it up and bring it down. And uh, that's extremely flexible but has other issues when you're talking about high assurance. You don't want a fully dynamic system if this is a device that really has to stay up. You want to lock it down and you want to have more control. Yeah. So the, the pattern that we're seeing is, is something we're calling semi-dynamic, where um, effectively at any given moment of time, it's running a static system. So in other words, uh, an error or an attack that did take over a piece of software can't change the architecture, can't go and add new software, and it can't change the communication lines. Uh, but there are mechanisms that with the right approvals, it can rewrite that architecture and do an update. It just does it at well-defined interface, at well-defined intervals mm -hmm. with well-defined cryptography backing it. Okay. Right, so you go from static to static to static. It's dynamic in a sense, but it's also 
static in a sense. It's semi-dynamic. It's a, it's a way of control. You need a way to control the entropy of that device, right? So you yeah. need to be able to to not let it live its own life and have users tamper with it from the perspective of installing yeah. software and so on, like on dynam dynamic systems, right? Yeah, and yet at the same time, these are complicated machines doing complicated jobs. They will need to be updated. They might be running an AI and you need to get the latest version of the AI without stopping the function of the actual water pump, yep. right? Yep. So you have to manage uh, the entropy while still being able to keep it fresh. Mm -hmm. I, I like you bring in the AI conversation here because we'll see how you know everyone is like all about ai these days right if you don't have ai somewhere um you you're uh, you're not in um so we are in we have ai in this show perfect um so but but that's interesting because ai models are things that depending on which device you will deploy it to will need to be adapted will need to be changed like they are retrained and they're optimized and so you need to redeploy them so you need to think about that system no longer, as you were saying, aesthetic, where it's like, hey, if the threshold of the temperature is that, you know, do this. It's not as simple, I would say, anymore, because these these systems, these devices are getting more complicated. So you need to push updates, yeah. you know, to the functionality, right? Um, yeah, go ahead. The, the key word that you just said is complicated, yes. or another version of it is complexity. Uh, mm -hmm. AIs by themselves are highly complex um, learning machines that can take actions. And anytime you have complexity on a system that can't fail, you have to worry about it. So from our perspective, it's like, go ahead, build your complex AI engine, but I want to put it in a shell that if there's an error, it can't break out of. Mm, interesting. Well, we're starting to get to, we're starting to get to where we want to go here. I like that. Um, so what are the main challenges that you think are in front of us when it comes to on one hand, we want to have these devices being more dynamic and less static, but we want to do that in a in a controlled manner, in a safe and secure manner. So what are the main challenges that you think we're facing here? Uh, there's, there's multiple, and there's technical challenges, there's social challenges. Uh, let's start with the, the technical one. The way we write software is the way we have been writing software, and I mean we as a, the big collective we, and uh, I'm talking about decades here, is inherently um, unpredictable. There's a lot of complexity. We test it. We do as much testing as we can where we do kind of probabilistic, I'm gonna throw a bunch of parameters at a function, and if I keep getting the right result out, it's probably gonna work for all possible parameters. But there's a big difference between that and having knowledge for sure that it's going to work, mm -hmm. right? So we're using systems and we're using techniques that frankly are from the 90s okay. on systems that have a much higher standard of care today. And this is reflected in some of the social changes where countries like EU is going to be leading on this. They're changing the legal framework around responsibility and liability for software errors, right? Okay. And and especially on devices, and especially on things that people depend on. So there's like a changing landscape of what are you responsible for, but also what are the best practices on how you build it. Got it. Yeah. So and, and that definitely sounds like the main challenge because uh, we want to we want to send more functionality, more responsibility on these devices, right? AI is one of them. We want that device to recognize a situation and act on it on its own autonomously. You want this like self-driving car to not run over a person, right? 
um, this is a good example of like, hey, we want this like these devices to be autonomous. But yeah, we, you cannot just like you know hope for the best after throwing your code at it, and you need to have some determinism, you know, that is right. known. And so you talked about something that I'm really more interested, very much interested for you to detail here. Um, a term that came often is formal methods, right? So we want to we want to have a code that is deterministic, right? That's that's one of the definition for me of of a system that is hard real time. You know, I've been doing embedded for a long time, and when people were asking me what does that mean real time, I was like, it's not a matter of being fast; it's a matter of being deterministic. And depending yep. on the entries, you you know what output you're going to have a hundred percent of the time. And so tell me about tell me about formal methods and how we are addressing these challenges of making that code predictable? So formal methods, um, it's not one-to-one -one related to real time, but they're close cousins. Okay. Think of formal methods as, I'll describe it at the high level first, I'll give you the, the, the proper definition first and then the more practical one. The proper definition is you're gonna use like proper core mathematics to build a model in the form of proof, like literally a mathematical proof that models out logic. And then you use tools to take your C code or your Rust code or something and to prove that your implementation of the code matches the model that you've built in mathematics, right? It's not testing. It's not testing in the sense that I'm gonna throw a bunch of parameters at it. Mm -hmm. It's testing in the sense that this mathematical model effectively tests all possible parameters at the same time, right? So, you know, everyone's excited about quantum because you can test all possible values for like a crypto key or something. This is a, a cousin of that. We're using a mathematical proof to show that this piece of logic will have the correct outcome for all possible inputs. Okay. Like, right. can and you give us, can you illustrate that a bit? Like example, uh, you know, a scenario or, or an application example of that? Um, when you talk to proofing engineers, they, you know, they start by talking about, can you prove that a sorting algorithm will always work correctly? Mm -hmm. But I, I worry more about, more about systems. Okay. Can I prove that one application, if I have access to these pages of memory, can you prove there is no possible way for a different application to gain access to those same pages and map it into the MMU? Mm -hmm. Right? And can you show that it is actually not possible? And you can do that if you're careful in how you lay your code out and you're careful about policies. I can now like mathematically show this application cannot get secrets out of the next one. And likewise, you can show this application cannot send a message at all to the next application. So um, like in networking and secure networking defensive sort of positions, they talk a lot about lateral migration mm -hmm. where an attacker comes into one computer and they're gonna to try to leverage that computer to get to the next one and then the next one until they finally get to the target they're going after. Think of what formal methods has the, has the hope of doing and actually has done now on the SQL4 kernel is you can use it to build up an application that you can show there's no lateral migration to the next application running on the same computer. In other words, I've got a drone flying through the sky. The mapping application, the navigation application is talking to the public internet, exchanging data, an attack or an error. Let's just say badly, a badly formed piece of metadata comes up accidentally. The mapping app crashes. Mm -hmm. Can you prove 
that that cannot cause the avionics package to fail. Okay. I, okay, that makes sense. That that's something that you want to prove that the, the the application will react in a known manner. Is it something you do? And, and you'll talk about the application of the uh, of the concept of formal methods here, practically with yeah. in the form of Crichton, right? Which is the right. startup that you you are working on, and and uh, the product that you're here to to describe it more, but. I had one question. You were talking about demonstrating that this this task, this this workload, uh, would behave the way it's expected to. Um, is it on the code itself, or is it on the binary that you would do that test? Um, is my so, question even relevant? No, no, it makes it makes sense. Okay. Um, and the answer is yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Look, there's multiple layers. Um, your formal mathematical model, you, the first thing you do is you, you build tools that take the raw C code mm -hmm. and you prove that it maps to the model. Okay. That's not enough. We know there's a compiler. The compiler may have errors. The compiler may inject attacks. So can you then take the binary output from the compiler, decompile it, build a logical um, a function con a control flow diagram, and then prove that the binary outputs control flow diagram matches the one that is embodied by the C, which you've also proved matches the one that you've described in the proof. Okay. Right. So you get these chain of proofs up and down the stack where you can show that the binary has the same exact control flow. The C code is a literal match of what you described in the mathematics. And then you can write proofs above it to show, hey, there are no buffer overruns. Okay. There are no other types of errors, and and basically you get to make claims about your code. It's very very hard to do. Yeah, but you so, can yeah, do so it. potentially that's that's applicable at at all languages out there, right? Because they all trickle down to assembly C and and then all the other stacks in between. But anyways, yeah. um, that that's another topic. I don't want to branch here. I want to go to to Crichton because yeah. you're working at applying uh, formal methods to offer a, a reliable uh, OS, can I say an OS for no, IoT well, devices? Yeah, think of it as um, if you could take a step back mm -hmm. and say, okay, all the OSs, and I mean all of them, um, have their roots in the 90s, right? But Linux and all these things, the great decisions were made and those decisions were made for the chips that were common in the 90s. And you look at the way they're being used in mission critical devices, and decisions that might be fine for PCs and for servers might not be the right decisions for things that really cannot fail. So what we did was we took a step back and said, well, what are the latest techniques? Have you know There have been breakthroughs in formal methods. It's extremely hard to do, but now you can build models of like 10,000 lines of code. Um, and in fact, we use the SEL4 kernel, which is exactly that. It's a kernel, which is fully formally proven. And then we're building our system on top of that and also proving out some of that code so you can effectively build a system for a device, a complex device that's got a bunch of applications. They're in crunchy hard shells that they can't break out of. There's strict lines of communication between them that can't be violated, but it's semi-dynamic so we can update that on well-known parts. And um, get it right. Uh, I don't really have much to say about what runs in the container. That's your code. That AI engine may have flaws, but we need to help make sure that um, when there is a failure, it doesn't spread to the rest of the system. Got it.
Yeah, you basically you basically run things in in control silos. You orchestrate them as well, yeah. and the thing that orchestrates them is is well known, right? That's SCL four, right. and that's Crichton built on top of it that offers that. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I think I'm I'm getting it, and I, and ah. I love what I'm hearing. Applications. It it sounds at first like it's something that is for you know very secure you know systems, but we all know that. You know, with the with the the rapid growth of AI, we're going to have more and more of these devices. There's questions around privacy. There's questions about safety and security. I think privacy is one important one, right? So, like in terms of uh, of of people's data and and the fact that this data is generated, captured and generated by devices by sensors. Yep. Um, so, would you see Crichton? As, a, as an application or used in, in any kind of IoT application, or is it is there a sweet spot to it? Um, no, I don't see it in every IoT application. <clears throat> I don't see us running on small ARMM devices. Okay. So, so it's really not for that thermometer, for that really simple thing that does one that does one job. It's it's more for the devices that have got some complexity that you want to separate out and manage and control the total amount of risk that you're taking. Um, I like that you brought up privacy. Um, when I talk about controlling the lines of communications between applications, that's critical for, for privacy. You may have an app that is collecting a bunch of data sitting right next to an app that is controlling motors and controlling and reading from sensors. How do I know that the data that's been collected doesn't accidentally get sent off to some public internet server? Well, it's not connected to the internet. There is an internet driver and there is communication, but the app with the privacy data isn't connected to it. Or better yet, it has to, it, it is, is connected to an app which, which only does encryption, and that one is connected to the internet. So now you can basically prove, I've got my data collection, I have my encryption, and I can prove that it cannot get to the internet without being encrypted. Right, so you start to be able to manage your risk and isolate both uh, both error zones, security zones, resilient zones, and privacy zones. I like that. I like that a lot. So there's ways for people to learn more about all these concepts yeah. on, on the website, and we'll, we'll put the website down there, crytin.com, uh, and reach out to you guys, uh, you know, in order to have that conversation about their specific needs. Uh, fantastic, Void. I'm sure you'll be back, um, you know, to show us some of that oh, stuff as wait. soon as it enjoyable right so yeah, i look right. forward to that me too great to be here well, have a good day talk to you soon see you bye-bye